for the history of our existence, especially from the 1860s on, when missions became so paramount to the church and so clear a focus. And I pray that, Father, today, for the sake of the gospel going forward, for the freedoms that we observe in this place, that we can even even gather here together as a church, like so many all over this nation. And Lord, the freedoms that have been fought for in other lands, I pray that you would honor these that have given their all. And we remember them today. Father, thank you for the liberty of having the, the joy of gathering and serving you and preaching your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you to join me in the book of Luke today. Luke, and we will be in chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're going to spend one more day talking about ministry today on uh, the subject of uh, looking at that together. And I want to just encourage you to join me in Luke chapter 10. And I promise I'll get there sooner or later. I'll get there with you, okay? Luke chapter 10, and we'll be in verses 25 down to verse 28, and then a little bit further. I want to talk to you about the call to otherness, to otherness. And the scriptures has, have a lot to say to us about that subject matter, believe me, they really do. How many of you remember getting a new job, and you're just trying to figure out what what is required of you, what's expected, maybe it's written out in a job description and then you realize well it's actually more than that job description right you kind of get there in the job and realize that oh there's this and that and you know that little part at the bottom and other other things deemed necessary by your supervisor and uh, sometimes we don't get that I always love going to school and I went to school for a long time when I got out of formal training I was 34 years young so I went to school for a long time, and I endured, and they kept giving me degrees, so I kept going. And uh, anyway, uh, some of you have done that recently. In fact, we've had, we've had students this weekend graduate high school, and next week we're going to have a special time of acknowledging them in the service. There'll be some video. We've got a Bible to present to all of them that are both high school and college, and even some in some... Uh, master's level um, that we will be recognizing but I want you to notice this with me today you remember going to class and uh, just to take you back on a little memory I always loved the first week of a semester and now it might be a quarter for you but you go to class and do you remember that first week you'd go to your one class the first day and you'd get the syllabus and you'd see all the books you needed to read and all the reviews you needed to write and you needed to uh, do x number of papers in this class and you had this many textbooks and you're going to have this many exams and there might be pop quizzes and you know I always left those classes thinking this professor believes I am his only student that that I don't have any other classes don't you didn't you feel like that I don't have any more classes because surely they wouldn't give us all this work if they knew I had other classes. So then you'd go to the second class, the third class, fourth class, fifth class, and then by the end of the week, 
It's like depression just attacks you, right? Have you been there? You're like, no one can do this. I know I can't. And I've signed up for this. And lo and behold, God helps you. And you figure it out. And you just take a bite of that elephant one bite at a time, right? And by the end of the semester, hopefully, you've eaten it, right? Well, becoming a Christian is a little bit like that. God has some requirements, but once we meet those requirements, which are repentance of our sin, if we're going this direction, he wants us to do an about face and go a new direction and follow him and give ourselves to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And if you have not done that on this Memorial Day weekend, I've got good news for you. God is in the house. Jesus would like to come into your life today and have you receive him as King of kings and Lord of lords, that you would make him your personal Savior. He is God's Son. He died for you. He rose from the dead. And here's what we get for believing that message and repenting of our sins. I get eternal life after this life is over, however long that is, 70 as God says, and today the average age is about 80 for men and women. I did a message on that a few weeks ago. You remember that? You remember all the details of that, right? How are you going to spend your 80? That just, it's coming back to you just like that, right? Okay. Here's what's so cool about God. You do what he's required and he gives you salvation. You have eternity with him in heaven. And you get the spirit of God living in you and you get a better life right here and right now. That is an incredible deal, isn't it? It's the best deal, I promise, you've ever been offered. And many of you have made Jesus Lord in your life, haven't you? But after you come to Christ, what does God expect us to do? He expects us to pray. Amen? Pray and pray and pray some more. He expects us to do that throughout our whole life, every day, all day long. Pray. He expects us to read his word, his Bible, right? I have a paper copy and there's probably not a lot of paper copies of the scripture today. And then I have one and I had somebody say, you know, you use that little bitty tablet when you preach and you know, you ought to just hold up your Bible. And I'm like, I have 15 times my Bible on this little tablet. I promise you. I have a Bible program and it has all kinds of things. And Some of you, most of you probably in this service, have either your phone, you've got a Bible app that you're using this morning, or you have a paper Bible, or maybe you have a tablet, but you are uh, using your phone. And uh, I want to just say that's one thing that we need to do as Christians, right? We also need to have fellowship with each other, right? In Bible study, have fellowship with one another. We're to witness We are to share Christ with other people and take that message to the whole world, the mandate of the church, to take the gospel to the whole world. And we are to do something else that this passage covers. You're to do ministry. This month, all month, we've been talking about ministry. You are to be a minister. You are a minister of the gospel, whether you realize it or not. You are to minister with your pastor. Not that I minister for you and the staff. We all minister for Christ. That's the calling of the church. 
and that we all serve him. I want to take you to this passage and look at this passage together today. And if you would, join me there in the book of Luke, chapter 10. And uh, it is just an incredible section of scripture. We've got a story of a Samaritan character here, and I want you to look at uh, this incredible story about his life and this experience that the Lord tells us about, Jesus tells us about in these uh, verses here today. And, you know, if you've ever wondered who's your neighbor, that question's been asked before. You're not the first. God tells us that we are to love our neighbor. And uh, the scriptures are so emphatic about that, aren't they? And it's important that we understand that when Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, he sums it up. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You hear the job assignment there twofold. What is it? He said that he came to serve and that he came to give his life as a ransom for many, for all. The Bible also tells us this about ourselves. Jesus is my reference again in Luke chapter 9, verse 24. He says, but whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. Isn't that something that the paradox, the, the mystery of Christianity that is that in giving your life away, you receive life back? It's so, it's powerful, isn't it? Just such a powerful statement by the Lord that when you learn to give yourself away, that's when you really find life. And we find life eternal and a better life here. Jovis's Stoll wrote something about ministry. And I remind you again, I didn't say this. I am quoting Joseph Stoll, who uh, was president of Moody Bible Institute for many years. But Joseph Stoll said this. He said, people are both a delight and a distraction. They light up our lives and they leave us lonely. They are both a compliment and they complicate. People are precious and people are problems. People provide places of refuge and points of conflict. Anybody relating to any of this? They encourage us and they exasperate us. I love what D.L. Moody said years and years and years ago. He said that the measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but it is how many men he serves. It really is, isn't it? It is how many people we serve. How many people do you serve? Who's my neighbor? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Somebody asked it before. In the book of Leviticus chapter 19, there's a very interesting chapter there in the middle of all this law instruction for the Israelites, God does something pretty interesting. He tells them that they should be neighborly and they should look out for their neighbor. And here's what he says. Who is my neighbor? Leviticus chapter 19. In the 13th verse, he says, do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. In verse 15, he says, Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Treat people the same. In verse 16, he says, Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. That is a really good law still to do. Amen? Don't endanger your neighbor's life. Take it home, live it out in your neighborhood. 
Verse 18, he says, love your neighbor as yourself, I am the Lord. That sounds sort of familiar like the New Testament, doesn't it? Sure does, it really does, doesn't it? So, here's, here's a question for you. Who is your neighbor? Jesus had Peter ask the same question. And Peter, we laugh at Peter. You know why you're laughing? Because it's you. I relate to Peter a lot. Peter had the foot and mouth disease. You know what I'm talking about? He stuck his foot in his mouth all the time. And until he started walking in the spirit, he had lots of, he's a roller coaster Christian. He's up and he's down. He's up and he's down. He's up and he's down. And we laugh at the disciples and think that they're hilarious because you're looking at the human response to God. And that's us when you see the disciples. And you'll relate to different ones of them at different times. Well, Peter said after Jesus was teaching on this very subject, who is my neighbor? Peter wanted to qualify and quantify neighborness. You follow me? He wanted to put this in a box that would be convenient and he could roll this thing out and say, who's my neighbor? Who, who, what, what do you, when Jesus, what do you mean when, I, when you say that? Who's my neighbor? Let's put this in a box so I know what I need to do. I mean, is my neighbor family? Is my neighbor, you know, he had all these things, no doubt, in his mind. You do too. You know who your neighbor is? Some of you are going to rejoice in this answer. Some of you are going to go, really? You believe that? Your neighbor is anybody you come in contact with on any given day. <laughs> no, no, neighbor is like a neighborhood thing, pastor. That's got to be family, and that's got to be like, you know, people live on my street. No. Jesus defined this for Peter. You see, a neighbor is anybody you encounter. So that means if you go to a restaurant today and the people that might serve you or check you out at the counter, that's your neighbor today. Somebody you meet randomly, that's your neighbor. They just entered the fray of your life, and now, guess what? They qualify as an encounter with a new person. It's a neighbor. Now, obviously, it should be your neighbors on your street, amen? It should be your family and friends and all of those folks, people at school, people at work. It should be, that's neighbors, right? But Jesus said that if we encounter someone, they come across our path, that is our neighbor. Wow. And how, what are we supposed to do for our neighbor? Well, let's look at some things, okay? The Bible says that we are to practice a couple kinds of love. In this passage, one of them in verse 27 says that we are to love the Lord God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength, right? That's vertical. That's worship. That's God giving love back. He gave us life. He gave us love. He gave us Jesus. We are to love him back. He first loved you. You are to return the love. Amen? You are to love Jesus back. You're to love God. Your connection point is Jesus Christ, God's Son. Boom. First love, vertical. Second love is horizontal. Second greatest commandment is what? 
And he hits it three times in the Gospels, and he says the law and the prophets hang on all these commands. It says, in fact, there's one passage that says that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in these two commands. The command is to love your neighbor as your self. What have you already done for yourself today? I guarantee you did some stuff. One, you're dressed. I take it you were undressed before you went to bed. You had jamas or something on, right? You got dressed. Some of you showered. Thank you. When all of us say, (laughs) thank you. Some of you showered this morning. Maybe you're a nighttime shower person, right? Or you, Calgon took you away last night, right? Yeah, you, maybe you're, you're a bath person, you know, but you, you bathed, you showered, right? You did that for yourself. Did you also brush your teeth? Thank you. Yeah, you did, didn't you? How about that hair for those of you who have some? Did you wash it? you put a little product on it style it yeah you did those things then you got your clothes on how many of you had coffee today yes 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 i had two cups i'm a happy boy i had to have my two cups every morning that's kind of my little routine and i was ready after that to preach after i prayed a while and i was ready I had coffee. I was ready to go. Amen? You had, you, did, you fix your, did you fix yourself breakfast? Or did you get a little breakfast here? But you fed yourself, yes? Something. And some of you are going, no, not yet. Okay, how many of you had tea? You had tea today. You've been in Europe, haven't you? Some people have tea. We have a tea drinker in our house. I won't say who. All right. We also have a Diet Coke drinker. So we that's coffee. And if you don't know that, so forth. All right. Uh, I just share all this to say you did all that stuff for yourself this morning, didn't you? Then you got in a car and drove yourself here or somebody drove you here, right? You've done all that for yourself. The Bible says that we are to love others as what? Does that mean you're going to brush their teeth? <laughs> You're hoping not. Hey, you know what? On some occasions, that could be required, ministering to somebody, helping them fix their hair. See, mamas have already got this all down. We dads are not as good at it, right? Mamas have got this down because usually they've been putting their kids together, so they've already ministered to several people. If they have two kids, they've done that. If they have four, they have six, eight. Ten. They've been, and then they get other kids to help. You know, if they got that many, they get them to help the, the the bigger ones, help the smaller ones, the next thing. But they've been ministering to people all morning before they even get here, right? Yeah. I mean, we always knew when I when Kimmel was out of town. All you had to do is look at our girls' hair and the clothes they had on. One year they got a school picture with Dad doing and and bless Keila's heart, she. Kimma would fix one of those spouts. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Where it's, you know, it's it's like a spout. It's out the side of the head, top, you know, up here. And it always looked really cool when Mama did it. But that day I did it. 
And I did it, and it looked, it looked like a spout that lost all of its power. So it was just kind of a big mess right here, and then a little bit of spout, spout out, you know. And that, that's one of our favorite school, school pictures. I was, I was daddy hair fixer that day. You know, mama just did it better. Hey, bottom line is God's called us to practice a vertical and a horizontal love. And you can't say you love the Lord without practicing horizontally because it involves people, and people are always involved in ministry. Amen? Now, here's three problems with loving folks. Three problems. Three problems. And they are real problems. They are. It would just be nice if people would cooperate and let you love them just the way they want you to, but ministry's messy. And you can't kind of love them just like that sometimes. You know, it just doesn't always work that way. There's one challenge, and that is the challenge from within ourselves. We are fallen creatures, and sometimes our favorite people are me, myself, and I. We love ourselves, and we love our own way, and we get, that gets in the way. Our fallen nature gets in the way of that. The Bible says in Psalm 14, 3, all have turned aside, have together become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. That's all of us without Jesus. That's who we are. We're fallen humanity, and we can be very selfish. There's also the challenge from without In this culture we live in, it just is amplified today. It's a me-first culture where folks are just looking out for themselves. And, man, you can get walked on, you can get climbed, especially in the workplace, just climbed over top of, because you're somebody to use. So we have that problem in our culture where it is a me-first type of culture and self-gratification and just making a buck and... Climbing the ladder is what it's all about. And then there's the challenge from our neighbor themselves. There are people that can be challenging. Anybody agree with that? That weird uncle that you have that every year at the family reunion you're going, whoa, I got to spend time with him again? Yep, he's family. Or how about that other person? Or maybe it's a brother or sister. Or maybe it's somebody you go to church with and they just rub you the wrong way. They're sandpaper to you. You got anybody like that? Don't say say anything. Don't speak out loud. It happens, doesn't it? It sure does. The Bible tells us that you have heard, and listen, when you do that, you open yourself up to manipulators, intimidators, and agitators. You do. You might get used and abused. I have. This past week, we were getting ready for Bible study Wednesday night, and man, it's about 15 minutes before we started the the teaching time. Guy shows up, needs needs some help, says he used to go to church here. And I haven't seen him yet today. Been looking for him. Didn't have time to pass him off to anybody else. Nobody's around. So, you know, it was either just help him out. I could have got used. I don't know. I've been used before. I've been abused before. But here's the thing that's really neat about that. Some people you do ministry with, it's, it's legit. They needed the help, and you were there. And you've got to focus on those, not the ones that use, manipulate, or abuse you. If you focus on those, guess what you won't do? I've been burned. I'm not going back. 
So you've got to focus on the victories. You've got to focus on the ones that you helped. That's what you have to do. It's much like that in life. But listen to this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, Jesus gives this counsel. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Isn't that interesting he says that? I want you to look at this ministry example of the Good Samaritan And notice in verse 33, he recognized his needs. He saw him in the ditch. He saw that he needed his wounds bandaged. He did that, took him to an end, but he recognized his needs with his eyes. You got to look around. You got to notice people. You got to see what's going on around you. Today, there's a very interesting word being used, a little, little phrase of situational awareness. In Christians, in Christians, we need to be situationally aware of ministry opportunities. I've been praying for somebody to witness to. I guarantee you, if you open your eyes, you'll see it every day. It's there. It's around you. You say, but pastor, I work by myself in a closed-up place. There will be opportunities for you to have touches in people's lives. If you seek him, pray that, all you got to do is open up your eyes. In this case, the Bible says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what, what was lost. That's Jesus' primary assignment. The Bible also tells us in Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, har- they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. You know, when they change the pronunciation of a word, I don't always like that. I grew up pronouncing this word as harassed. That has more oomph to it, to me. And I like to read it that way because it, 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 I believe it's more to what Jesus is talking about. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He also responded to their need that he saw within his own heart. The Bible says that we, he was moved in his heart. He had compassion. If you look at verse 33 and 34, he was moved to respond to this guy. There were others that were not. And two of them are in the clergy ranks. Really sad. The Bible says, Colossians 3.12, that we should, be, we should clothe ourselves with compassion. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. He also practiced or reacted as would Christ. Isn't that the job description for every one of us? I'm telling you, you will find opportunities for ministry when you react the way Jesus reacted. That's what you're called to do. In the passage, it tells us that he did just that. He gave, he, he bandaged him up, took him to an inn, paid money, said, hey, if this is not enough, I'll stop back by and I'll pay the rest if he's got more of a bill to get, get well here, and that's what he did. He took care of him, didn't he? Sometimes it's costly to do ministry. It will take your time. It may take some money. But did you get that money, or did God give it to you? Whose is it in the first place? Is he the owner of all things, and you are all, all things are on They're lent to you to manage and be stewards of. Sure enough, huh? You are a manager of what he gives to you. And you need to be a blesser with that. 
He says in the scripture, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In other words, act on it. Amen? Act on it. Let me tell you something. Here's something I want to share with you. When I was a seminary student at the first seminary I went to, I was going to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, and I was pastoring in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. We had two cars. One was my little sports car, my little fix-up car. I had a little I had a little MGB, red convertible, convertible top. Kimma drove that most of the time because it was a 1968. So we were kind of trying to restore it and so forth. So I, I would drive. It was my car, but when I went to school, that was 70 miles away one way, about an hour and a half trip with the roads we were on. I'd finally get up to I-64, and I'd get on the road. Well, we had a car, and it was Kimma's car because, you know, she should, she's the lady. She should have the nicer car. I bought her a Pontiac 2000. Anybody remember those? It was a J car, and GM had them in every branch, you know, Oldsmobile, Pontiac, uh, Buick. They had a branch in, in all of them. Well, that J car was fine. It was a couple years old, you know, like we typically bought a car, and it was a nice car for the family. But we had an alternator problem. Now, if you know about alternators, you're not going to be going very far if you have a problem with your alternator. As soon as the battery life is gone, air conditioner shuts off and all the rest and lights and shuts down. Got stuck out one time, two times, three times. Got an alternator rebuilt. Rebuilt alternator Going to seminary that day had a Hebrew test and had another test that was a makeup test that I absolutely could not miss because I had I had to be at a surgery in Lexington the other day that the, the test was so this was the professor being kind giving me another day to take the test I get about halfway to Louisville and the gauges and the light starts flashing the air conditioner goes off and I'm going no not again pull off the side of the road I'm telling you if that thing would have been on an incline on that hill it was God let God made me because he was not going to let me be tempted that day he it was a flat place if it had been a hill I'd have pushed the car over the hill that's how upset I was with this car fifth time I gotten stuck in that that car obviously the rebuilt alternator didn't work so I get out and I'm talking to God. I probably look like a nut job. You know, today if you see somebody talking to themselves, they probably have a Bluetooth, right? You ever have that happen in the, you're in the grocery store and you think somebody's talking to you, they're just talking on their phone, right, these days? Uh, it's just, that's the day we're living in. Well, I'm walking down the road and I'm, I'm, I'm not having a pleasant prayer time with the Lord. I am upset. I am telling, Lord, I'm trying to serve you down here. Got stuck in his car five times, God. Today's test day, two tests, one makeup test. And who's going to pick me up? Who knows? I may not be able to get a ride, may not be able to get my car fixed, so forth. So I walk about a, I walk about a half, half a mile. And I'm like 20 miles from the next exit going forward and probably 10 miles the other way. So I'm, I just start kept walking because I knew there was a gas station that actually worked on cars. Young people, you don't know what that is. 
But used to, when you'd say gas station, it was a place they repaired cars as well. They had a couple little bins, and they'd take your car in there and fix it. Now they're just gas stations, right? With convenience stores. Candy, right? Listen, that's what it is today. But back then, that's what it was. And I remember. So I'm walking, and man, it's hot. I'm burning up. Got nothing to drink. There's nothing, you know, I'm just walking down the road. Lord, Lord, I'm just trying to serve you. And all of a sudden, this car pulls over. And it's way down there. I thought, thank you, Lord. All right. Maybe I can still get the car fixed, get to school. So I start running. And when I started running, the car started pulling forward. Like, "Mm, I don't think so. And I get a little closer, and I see that there's a lady. And she's sitting in like a little Buick. And she... She looks like, you know, I'd say she's in her 50s. I find out she is. And when I get a little closer to the car, I hear click because she's locked the doors. And then I get up by the car, and she she starts talking to God herself. Lord, are you sure? He looks scary. The closer he gets, the bigger and uglier he is. She said that. I heard her. I thought, thank you. And I actually looked a little better back then. You know, that's, that's what was really tripping. So I get up here, and she rolls the window down about this much. And she goes, I've never done this before. I said, she said, are you like a killer or rapist or anything that would, you know, you'd do something to me? And I said, no, ma'am. I said, you want me to get in the back? No, because then you'll have the advantage. And I said, she said, who are you? I said, I'm a pastor at Hopewell Baptist Church where I was pastoring in Harrodsburg, Kentucky. And she said, oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I'm not a crazy person. And the window's still just like this. So I can hear her. She's, she's yelling. I said, hey, I'm, I'm Barry. She says, you have any identification that would prove you're a pastor? I said, yes, ma'am. And I pulled my wallet out and I had a I had a church business card. I handed her my bill. Oh, hallelujah, you really are a pastor. And she said, okay, I'm going to let you in, okay? I'm going to let you in. So she unlocks the door, click, I get in, find out her name is Thelma, Thelma Simonis and uh, she's a homemaker and she's 53 years old and she lives about 20 miles down the road and she said, I'm going to take you down here to this gas station. I said, exactly, that's where I want to go. And she said, I'll, I'll hang out with you until I make sure you get, get your car situated. Well, we got the car towed up there. She's still hanging around. And then she, she, uh, the, he's got an alternator coming, and they replaced the alternator. I get to school, take my test. We give each other a hug. I thank her for stopping. She says, I've never done that in my life. And she said, the closer you got to the car, the more scared I got. But I felt like God said, pull over and help him. That's not the end of that story. She told me that she was a Sunday school teacher. What she didn't tell me is the church that she went to and who's her pastor. He's a friend of mine at seminary. Three months later, I was preaching, already scheduled to preach in his church. I preached a revival. So on Sunday, 
they've been announcing for a few weeks that Barry Jude's coming, and Thelma recognizes my picture, my name, and she tells her family. Her husband, not a Christian, guess what he does? He comes to church Sunday morning, tells me after the service, I'm glad to meet you. I can't believe my wife picked up a hitchhiker. I said, I wasn't even hitchhiking. I was still talking to God. I was walking down the street like a crazy person, you know, down the highway. And she, he said, I, I didn't have my thumb out or anything at that point. I still was still just too mad and angry about my situation. And I wasn't even thumbing. She said, he said, but still, my wife would never, ever do something like that, but she picked you up. He said, I don't know what, what, what to make of that. He came back that Sunday night. Guess what? Guess what happened? He asked Jesus Christ. He came down the aisle, gave his heart to Jesus Christ that night. Guess what happened the rest of the week? Two other relatives came and wanted to see this preacher that Thelma Sermonas had picked up on the highway, a homemaker, going down the interstate and had picked up this hitchhike. I wasn't even hitchhiking. She just picked me up. Two other relatives and her family came to Christ that week. Now, God in his schematic of our lives and our, his plan for all of us, I don't know if the Lord would have brought him to Christ another way. You just never know. But Thalma obeyed the Lord and picked me up. She ministered to me and helped me out of a desperate spot that day. Got me where I still could get to school, got me where my car could get fixed, and God saved her husband and saved two family members in that revival. Isn't that something? Now, here's what I know. God may have done it another way if I wasn't there that day and Thelma didn't pick me up. But she was there that day, and I was there. And our paths collided. <laughs> and God used that to work in her family's life. Follow me? See, who knows if you'll just be obedient to what God says, and I'm not asking all of you to go out here on I-20 today and pick up any hitchhiker or somebody that's having trouble, okay? You might want to call 911 for them. If, just do what God tells you. That's what I'm telling you to do. Do what God tells you. He will bless you for it. Thelma believes, she says, all these years I've witnessed to my husband. This is the first time, besides a funeral, I could get him to church because he wanted to see what this guy looked like. That he, her, her, his wife picked up on the highway, on the interstate, led to salvation. Into that passage, verse thirty-seven, it says, "Go and do likewise." And Warren Wiersbe, in his writing on the Book of Luke, he says, "What it really means there is go." And continue to go and keep doing likewise over and over and over and over and over again. God wants his church, the Oaks, to be a ministering body. Not part of us. All of us. All of us. And if you're here and you need Jesus, come see me. If you're here today and you need to do business with God, just come to the altar and pray. Okay, Father, in this place, just do what you desire, what you want. Father, make us ministers of the gospel of Jesus. May we be good Samaritans. Father, stopping and helping those along life's way, whether it's in a Bible study class here, somebody we're mentoring as in a discipleship method, or Lord, it's just a touch that we need to help somebody.
And sometimes it'll be messy and sometimes it'll be costly. And Father, help us to do it anyway, to be used of you for your glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.